I want us to go to the very Word of God this morning. I have an exciting message that I would like to share with you this morning. We have been in the parables of Jesus and really just getting started. And, and I don't think that we'll go through every single one of them, but we'll hit most of them. And uh, the parables of, parables of Jesus are amazing. He is the master teacher. Uh, the Word of God, the Gospels tell us of the exciting birth and life and ministry and words and teaching and miracles of Jesus. They tell about his death, his burial, his resurrection. And uh, we're going to pick up one of these teaching moments today. I would like for you to turn in your Bible to Matthew, I'm sorry, to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. The title of the message today is the parable of two debtors. And I emphasize two. There are two debtors in this story. Now, when you look at the story on the in the natural and in that day, it only looked like there was one debtor. But in the eyes of God, there were actually two debtors. Let's read it together. It reads like this. And then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner and, and who, who knew Jesus had sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, this, this sinful woman brought an alabaster flax of fragrant oil. Notice what she did. And she stood at the feet, at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and to wipe them with her, the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, in other words, this is what the Pharisee is thinking in his heart and in his mind. Here's what the Pharisee said. If this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, well, teacher, say it. There was, here's the parable. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Jesus said, you have, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but she has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my hair with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Let me tell you, no greater words than, than that right there. Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table begin to say to themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Let's talk about this today. I want to teach for a few minutes today about the parable of the two debtors. Now, if you go back and study and read the book of Luke chapter 7, what you're going to realize is there's three miracles that take place in this chapter. First of all, there's a wonderful and a a great miracle. There's the miracle of the healing of the centurion's son. And, and, or healing of the servant. And you'll remember that the man said, don't come to my house, I'm not worthy, just speak a word and your servant will be healed. Jesus marveled at the faith, the servant was healed at a distance. What a great miracle. But then in this chapter, there was even a greater miracle than that. Jesus was entering a city as a funeral procession was coming out of a city. And at Nain, he, he stops the funeral procession and he says to the man who was in the coffin dead, he said, I say to you, son, arise. And the man got up. Jesus raised someone from the dead. What an incredible miracle. Both those miracles are wonderful miracles. Both those miracles are great miracles. The miracles of the healing of the centurion's son, a servant at a distance, and the, he, uh, the raising of the young man, the, the widow's son from the dead, those are great miracles. But I want to tell you there's an even greater miracle that takes place here. It's not physical, but it's something spiritual. And it's the miracle of forgiveness. Do you realize the miracle of God's forgiveness is greater than raising someone from the dead, dead, greater than healing someone from a large distance? And and why is that? Because it's the transformation of someone's heart and life. It's It's the power and the burden of sin being washed away. One of the reasons it's greater is because it changes not only something for time, but it changes someone for eternity. You see, God could heal a sick body. That person may get sick again. They're certainly going to die one day. But I want to tell you, when we receive the forgiveness of the Lord into our hearts and lives, it's going to not only change our life in time, but it's going to transform our eternity as we live in the presence of God who forgave us through the blood of Jesus. And it was very costly It's a great miracle because it was so costly. It cost the blood of Jesus. Now, here's something interesting we really don't know, and that's we don't really know why Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to this meal at his house. We don't know if he invited because he was curious. You know, here's Jesus, this very famous teacher and miracle worker. Maybe Simon invited because he was curious. Maybe, maybe Simon invited Jesus to his house for this banquet, for this meal, because he was concerned about how the ministry of Jesus would affect his own religious career. Or he may have invited Jesus to criticize him and to find fault, which many of the Pharisees did. We really don't know why he was invited. We don't have that background back, uh, of the story. But what we do know is This banquet took a very, very different turn than Simon thought it was going to be. As a sinful woman comes in and begins to bathe the feet of Jesus with her her tears, he began to anoint him, and it was something that Simon, I'm sure, was was not prepared for and was not ready for. Now, it's interesting. Uh, you may wonder, how could someone just come in to a, a meal like that? Because the meals in that day are very different than the meals today. You know, we invite someone to our house. They come in the front door, our friends or family or a group of people. We close the door. And if someone came in after that that we didn't know, we would like be shot. But in the, in the first century and in the Near Eastern culture, it was not like that. 
People would come to these banquets and they would sit down around the table. There would be cushions around the table for the guests. Then there would even be other cushions around the perimeter of the wall as people would just come in and they would greet the guests. And it was more of an open community than that we have today. And that really explains how this woman and why this woman came in and began to worship Jesus at his feet, began to bathe his feet in her tears and dry them with her hair and anoint him with this precious ointment. And so we see that today. So today, with that background and with those thoughts of the background of this story and the reading of this parable, there's some lessons here. And I want you to know these lessons are all about forgiveness. I don't know if you picked it up, but throughout the story and the narrative and the parable tucked in there that Jesus talked about, it was all about forgiveness. And I want to talk about uh, these lessons that are contained in this marvelous story. There's actually three lessons about forgiveness. They're very simple, but I'm going to tell you they're very powerful. The first lesson is this, and that is that every one of us needs God's forgiveness. Every single one of us. The Pharisee and the woman, they illustrate two different kinds of sin, and they illustrate that everyone sins, and it illustrates that everyone, whether Pharisee, whether sinful woman, every one of us and everyone in between, we all need the forgiveness of the Lord. Now, what we need to know is that there are different types of sins, and there are different types of sins that are manifested in this story. For instance, Jesus said of the woman, her sins were many, but what we also need to see is that the Pharisee, Simon, also had his sins. So what are the different types of sins? First of all, there are sins of the flesh and there are sins of the spirit. Now, Simon wasn't guilty of the sins of this sinful woman. In other words, Simon wasn't guilty of immorality. I don't know that he had stolen anything. I don't know he had committed any sins outwardly, but he was still a sinner. One of the things that Jesus dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount, and also as in my devotion this week, I was in Matthew 23, and one of the things that Jesus was constantly confronting is the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And these Pharisees, most of them, they were full of hypocrisy and they were full of pride. They were covetous. They, uh, there, was, uh, there was outward religion. They... Uh, were driven, really, by the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, we have to be careful as we look at this story. We have to be careful. Jesus in no way approved of the, wor of the woman's immorality and, and disapproved of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. He said of this woman in verse 47, I'll read it. He says, her sins are many, many. He didn't sidestep her sin. He didn't excuse her sin. She was guilty of gross sin, really. But I want you to know this. Simon was also guilty of sin. He was guilty of sins of the Spirit. One famous preacher called sins of the Spirit, the sins in good standing. We can't see them, but yet there's still sins in the sight of God. So what we need to understand is this. There are different types of sin. There are sins of the flesh and there are sins of the Spirit. There's another type of sins, and that is sins of commission and sins of omission. See, now Simon knew what the woman had done. Everyone knew what the woman had done. Her sins were before the whole community. But listen to this, only Jesus could see what Simon had done. 
You know, I've noticed something. I've noticed that there are people that kind of high profile Christians that stumble and everyone can see their sins and everyone jumps on the, the bandwagon to condemn them. Well, we have to be very careful about that because some sins are sins of commission and some sins are sins of omission. And here's something interesting. Simon knew what she had done, but he forgot what he had not done. Now think about that. But now, sins of commissions are things we, we, we commit sins against the Lord. We violate a known command. But do you realize that many sins in the church are sins of failing to do what God has said? And, the, and this is what the Pharisee had done. The Pharisee, Simon, had not washed Jesus with water, had not kissed him, had not anointed him. But yet here's this woman who is worshiping him, loving him, blessing him. Now think about this. The person who does not do what God requires is just as guilty as the person who does what God forbids. So there's sins of the spirit, there's sins of the flesh. There's sins of commission, there's sins of omission. There's also open sins and they're hidden sins. I've referenced this, we'll refer it again. Reference it again. Everyone knew what this woman had done. But yet Jesus was going to look down in the heart. And that's what's important. The heart is what's important. Only Jesus knew what Simon had done. Now, here's the interesting thing about the, the terms of sin in Scripture. One of the terms for sin is missing the mark. Simon had missed the mark. Simon thought he was right with God. He thought he had arrived. He was a religious person. But actually, Simon had missed the mark. Now, think about this. When we stand before the Lord in judgment, it's not going to matter what, what I see or what I think I see. It's not going to matter what others see or think they see. But what is going to really matter is what Jesus sees and what is the reality in our lives. Here's what the Word of God says in Hebrews. There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Every one of us needs forgiveness. Why? Because there's all kinds of sin. Someone's sin may be more evident, but I want to tell you, every one of us, no matter who we are, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Here's also something we need to consider. We are sinners whether we feel guilty or not. Now think about the parable that Jesus gave about the debtors. The two, there were two debtors in the story. And both the people in the story, both the debtors, one was one owed 500 denarii, one owed 50 denarii. They were both bankrupt. It, it was not a matter of guilt and no guilt. They were both guilty and they both were debtors. Now think about this. The woman was not more lost than the Pharisee. Now on the outward, they thought he was, but the woman wasn't more lost than the Pharisee. She only felt her guilt more. She only felt her need more. Simon didn't feel his need, though he did have a need. This is what Jesus illustrates. Listen to a, a parallel passage in, in Luke 18, 9. He also spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. The two men went up to the temple to pray. Two people are going. There's a Pharisee and other, a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus to himself. Listen to this prayer. I've always thought this was a crazy prayer. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as the, this tax collector. Can you imagine going to church and praying like that? 
And then he says in verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give my tithes of all that I possess. And this ta the tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, I tell now notice what the words of Jesus are. Notice there's two debtors. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, in the eyes of God, it was different. Here's two people praying. One goes away justified. The other goes away unjustified, unforgiven, yet he thought he was forgiven. Why? He didn't feel his guilt. He didn't know his need. I've noticed something in Scripture. I've noticed that those who are closest to the Lord felt their sin the most. Abraham said, I am but dust and ashes. Job said this, behold, I am vile. Ezra, the great second Moses said, oh Lord, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face. Peter said, depart from me for I am a sinful man. The apostle John, when he came in the presence of holy exalted Christ, fell down as a dead man. Paul, what did Paul feel about himself? Was anybody closer to the Lord than Paul? I don't think so. He said, I am the chief of sinners. In the, in the scripture, leprosy is the type of sin. And what happens, leprosy, we know now today in our modern day, leprosy affects the nerves. And as the, as the disease progresses, that it kills the nerve endings to where a person can't feel anymore. They, they can have an injury and get infection because they didn't even know they had an injury. And that's what sin does to the human heart, to the human conscience. See, what it does, it deadens us towards sin. It deadens us to the reality of what God wants. Sin can deaden our conscience toward our guilt, but it doesn't mean we're not guilty. It just means that we don't feel guilty. One man, a minister was talking to a man, and he said to that minister, he said, he was so deadened in his sin. He said, if I were to drop in hell today, he said, it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. That's what the leprosy of sin does to the human heart. My first thought is this. We all need forgiveness. No matter, we may look at someone's sin and we may feel like their sin is worse. We may feel like their sin is worse because it's outward. But I want to remind you, the Lord looks at the heart. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us needs God's wonderful, merciful, and gracious forgiveness. Here's the second thing I want you to see about forgiveness, and that's this, that God's forgiveness comes to us as a gracious gift. See, forgiveness is the greatest miracle that the Lord performs. And the reason is because forgiveness is about the grace of our God. Notice in verse 42, the Lord says, he, he graciously forgave them both in the parable. The, the New King James says, he freely forgave both of the debtors. That word freely, freely forgiven or graciously forgiven, we find that in other passages in Scripture. Uh, Romans 8.32, that we may know the things that are freely given to us. Or how will he not freely give us all things. See, forgiveness is not something that you can earn. It's not something that we merit. It's not something that we can work for. If anyone ever receives 
the gracious mercies of God is going to come to them as a gift. We don't have anything to pay. I'm reminded of Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, when the Bible uses the word poor, it uses it on a sliding scale, really. When it says someone's poor, sometimes it means they have a little bit, but not quite enough. But that verse in Matthew 5 and 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, that means they are completely, utterly bankrupt. They have nothing at all. In describing our position before God without Jesus Christ, we are utterly bankrupt. We have no righteousness on our own. We could work a million years and we would die lost in eternity because we cannot merit righteousness. And that's why Jesus went to the cross to purchase righteousness for us. And the Word of God says in Romans 8 and 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus when we have righteousness and that sin is washed away by the forgiveness of God and the, and the justifying work of the Lord, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt that is there. Paul said this wonderful verse that we all know, by grace have you been saved, that not of yourself, but it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now I think that the concept of forgiveness was difficult for the Pharisees like Simon because their whole religious system was based on merit. It was based on good works. I read you the parallel passage. I, I, I tithe and, and I give and I, I do this and I don't do this. One day there was a famous minister and he was, he was going out uh, or he was actually studying the scriptures. He was studying the subject of grace. And hour after hour, he just studied. He was overwhelmed by the grace of God. He went out into the street and he, the first person he found, he said, do, do you know about grace? And the man said, grace who? <laughs> he didn't know. And I think that's the way it is in our world today. Grace who? Grace what? We're so programmed to work and try to work our way to heaven. No one could ever work their way to heaven. We are bankrupt without the Lord. And the salvation that God offers is by a gift. It's a gift. And the only way a sinner can be saved it's by grace. No one can earn their way to heaven. Either we're saved by grace and by gift or we're not saved at all. Also, think about this. Forgiveness is received. If it's a gift, how is it received? It's received by faith. This, this sinful woman was not saved because of her tears. She wasn't saved because of the expensive oil she anointed him with. She wasn't saved because she felt a certain way. She wasn't saved by any of those things. We can't be saved by any of those things. The only thing that can save us is our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One great, one great hymn writer wrote these words. Oh, I love these words. He wrote these words. And this illustrates what we're saying here. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. It's only our faith in Jesus Christ that can save us. See, and it's not even repentance on its own. We tell people to turn away. Yes, repentance is part of it. But if it's repentance alone without faith in Jesus, the one who paid the penalty, all our repentance is going to do is leave us in more guilt and more, more despair. But we look away to Christ. It's like in the Old Testament when the snakes had bitten the Israelites. The answer 
wasn't to go out and make up a, an anti-venom, but Moses built, made a serpent on a pole, and whoever looks will live. An old song, look and live, look and live. That's where salvation is. Look and live. Look to Jesus Christ our Lord today. Now, there's something interesting that I found out as I was studying this passage of Scripture. That as the scholars believe that chronologically, that this moment of Jesus, or really right before this moment, the, the chronological event that happened right before Jesus had this meal that he was invited to, with Simon the Pharisee and the woman comes in, what took place right before this? The great scholars believe that right before this, Jesus had preached the, and given his great invitation. And he gave these words chronologically. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The scholars believe that, that those words and that sermon happened right before this event. If that's the case, I wonder if this sinful woman was in that crowd. I wonder if, if somehow she was at that meeting and she heard those words, come unto me all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I wonder if, if the sin of her life that had bound her and damaged her life and ruined her reputation, was she in that meeting and heard those words? And did she respond because what we know in this story is that she was already forgiven when she had entered Simon's house. She wasn't getting saved there. She was already saved when she entered that house. How do we know that? Because Jesus had said, your sins have been forgiven. And the Greek tense of the verb is this. It's very strong. They have been forgiven. They are forgiven and they stand forgiven. What accomplished the miracle of forgiveness? We find it in verse 50. He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. And that woman left that day. She left that meeting, that banquet, after worshiping Jesus, anointing Jesus, bathing her, his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair, she left that day certain that she was saved. He said, Pastor, how do you know she was certain that she was saved? Because he said to Simon, her sins are forgiven. She heard those words. Those are the most glorious words. In, you know, someone who's lived a lifetime of sin to hear those words. Your sins are forgiven. How do we know we're saved today? Now think about this. We, know, we, we don't know we're saved today because of some feeling we have. Now, now think about the woman here. Think about how she felt there. If she, had, if she was like a lot of people who, who rely on their feelings. You know, you go to church and the music's playing and the songs are singing and the, the motion is high and you're, you're feeling the, pre, the close presence of the Lord. But think about this lady. She felt the closeness of Jesus. She felt emotional. She was crying. She was worshiping him. But, but when she left that, you know those tears stopped. She didn't cry forever. You know some of those feelings died down a little bit. She couldn't rely on any of that. 
What did she rely on? She relied on the very words of Jesus. Her sins are forgiven. She never forgot that. The very Son of God, the highest authority in the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, had given the declaration, your sins are forgiven. How do we know we're saved today? Same way, by the declaration of the very Word of God. Listen to John. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know we're saved. We can be for certain like this woman who left that day. I don't think she walked out of there and said, oh, maybe I need to do that again. No, she was saved and she knew it. But also notice this. This forgiveness wasn't cheap. This forgiveness wasn't cheap. Now, forgiveness is a grace gift to us. Forgiveness is a free gift to us. Remember I told you we can't earn it. We can't merit it. But somebody has to pay for it. Now think about this. Notice this. In the parable again of the two debtors, notice this. One man owed 500 denarii. One man owed 50 denarii. He forgave both of those. Think about this. Who paid the debt? Someone, it cost someone the debt. And it was the creditor. It was the credit. Think about this. Forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. It costs the life of the dear Son of God who left heaven above, who came and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. What a marvelous God that we serve. He took our sin upon him. The sin of the world was placed upon Jesus, the just Jesus for us, the unjust, the human race. Think about it today. It's free, but it's very costly to God himself. So think about it today. Think about it today. Here's the third thing I want to share with you today, that not only does is uh, forgiveness, it's a wonderful gift of the grace of God. It has to be gift. Not only does every person, every human being needs forgiveness, but notice this. Notice what happens when someone receives the forgiveness of the Lord. It frees them to live a new and a changed life. As you look at this story, I conclude with there's three things that we note here. There's three things that are evident here that, that happened in this woman's life. Now, all we know is that this was a sinful woman. It says it in the text. We can just imagine with our mind the kind of ungodly and gross life that she lived. But I want you to know Jesus is in the life-changing business. Hallelujah. The old song says, Oh, what a change there has been since Jesus came into my life. Jesus is in the life-changing business. That's why we need a church on this hill, because we're in the life-changing business. We've partnered with the Lord in His great gospel work. But notice the change that, trans, that, that characterized and that is evident in her, her life. I point out three as we conclude. First of all, she had a new love in her life, a new love. One of the amazing things that happens to every single person that receives the forgiveness of the Lord and is born again is they fall in love with Jesus. That's what happens to every child of God. It says, we love because he first loved us. The evidence of a changed life is love. Love for God 
in love for God's family. For God's family says, all men shall know you're my disciples because you love one another. But notice what Jesus says. Said this to some religious leaders. Jesus said, if you were of my, uh, if God were your father, he said to those leaders, you would love me. Love. Look how much this woman loved Jesus. You know, I'm sure that when this, this sinful woman comes into this banquet, this meal at Simon the Pharisee's house, I'm sure he was uncomfortable. You, you've been in uncomfortable moments, and, and he probably cringed. He was uncomfortable. He was probably ashamed of what she was doing. He was trying, in his mind, probably trying to figure out, how can we get rid of this woman? But notice how unashamed this woman was of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about not, but don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the words of Jesus. If we're ashamed of the words of Jesus and his message in, in this generation, he'll be ashamed of us before the Father and the holy angels. This woman was saved. She loved Jesus more than anything else. She did not care who was there or who wasn't there. She was bathing his feet with her tears. She was anointing him with very, very costly ointment. The center of her attention was Jesus and she wasn't afraid to let everyone know what Jesus had done for her. What happens in a person's life is they fall in love with Jesus. That's what forgiveness love, uh, forgiveness does. It puts a new love in our heart, a love for Jesus. Here's the second thing that happened in her life. She received a new freedom. See, Charles Spurgeon said this, If the grace that I profess to have received leaves me in the same condition I was before I received it, it is not New Testament grace. And what Mr. Spurgeon was saying is this, that when true salvation, true forgiveness takes place, we don't remain the same. See, the, the work of Christ is not just forgiveness of sins, but it is the cleansing and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Someone who receives the forgiveness of the Lord is not the same. They'll never be the same. Who's ever in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And when we receive the forgiveness of the Lord, we literally are transferred out of the darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and we're brought into the kingdom of God's dear son. This woman used to live under a yoke of sin, a yoke of, of terrible, wicked, gross immorality. But now... She has put the yoke of Jesus on. Come to me all who labor heavy laden and I will give you rest. She put that yoke upon and now that yoke is easy and that burden is light and there's love in her heart and there's freedom from those dominating sinful propensities that dominated her life. And notice this, whom the son sets free is free indeed. That's our message today. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. God's forgiveness brings freedom. Simon the Pharisee, he wasn't free because religion cannot free you. Religion binds you to rules, but faith through the grace of God brings us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I want you to notice this in concluding, in conclusion. I want you to notice the third thing that was characterized her new life, and that was she received a new peace. Notice the last words that Jesus says to her. And I love this. It's found in verse 50. Your, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Paul said, therefore, having been justified by faith, 
we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the lesson today from the parable of the two debtors. One is we all need God's forgiveness. The second lesson is this forgiveness comes to us as gift. And lastly, this forgiveness frees us to live a changed life. I'd like to pray for us today. Maybe, maybe you're a person or know someone that has never come to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know you can know him. Maybe you're part of our church family and you know him, but maybe there's someone who watching this that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe there's someone later on, you know how it is, this goes out and out and stays on the internet forever, which is a great thing because we're bringing the mercies of God through, the, through his gospel message. So I want to pray. If you need the forgiveness of the Lord, I want to pray. Father, today, I just bring that person to you that's watching this video, that's in part, that, that has joined with us in this service at some today or in the future. And Lord, I pray that they would come to you and Lord, they would confess their sins and they would say, Lord, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Forgive me for the way I've lived, all the things that I've done. I ask you to have mercy upon me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and to cleanse me in your precious blood. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. You were buried and rose again on the third day. And I confess you as my Lord. Come into my life. Write my name down in the Lamb's book of life. Make me part of your family. Make me ch your child today. And we ask that in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us in the service today. Pass this message along to someone that you may think that may need it. And uh, I just say God bless you today. As we dismiss the service today, I want you to know we're going to be back together soon, worshiping together. Let me pray the, the benediction prayer. Father, I just thank you for our Trinity Life family. I ask you for continued mercy. I ask you for continued grace. And today I say, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of our God, and may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you as you go today.